Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason. Got a great show for you today because I got a great guest. This guest is Eric Bream. He is a friend of the show. He's been on here before, but we're talking about a different topic today. The topic we're covering today is when anti-agricultural activists hold political office. Seems to be a trend that is happening in rapid fashion. And Eric, being a citrus producer in California, the most politically anti-ag state probably in the union, which is interesting because it's the number one ag state, you'd think that they would be a bigger supporter. It's got a lot of insights to shed on that. So, Eric, by the way, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, before we get into you and this topic, I want to remind our viewers and our listeners that, yes, viewers, meaning that you can always listen to this uh, Business of Agriculture podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you get your uh, episodes of, of various podcasts you listen to, but you can also view it. Go to YouTube and type in Damian Mason channel. That's right. It's a channel with all my stuff, Business of Agriculture, Do Business Better, and then all my various ag commentary clips and other things. So just become a subscriber there. Doesn't cost you nothing. This episode is brought to you by Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a software solution for your agricultural enterprise. You've got a modern day agricultural enterprise. Look like it, act like it, behave like it, and profit like it. You know what? Go to harvestprofit.com to see if they have a software solution that can make you more profitable. All right, Mr. Bream. I call him Dr. Bream because he's one of those guys that's just a smart dude. You know, he's out there in California growing citrus. Real quickly, tell the uh, tell the listeners about you. Um, I'm a third generation farmer. Uh, my family moved to the Central Valley in the early 1950s and started planting citrus and purchasing citrus ground. We farmed a lot of stuff over the years, but today we're we're 100 percent in on citrus. I grow eight different varieties. Eight different varieties of almost all oranges, right? No, it's um, we got oranges, blood oranges, lemons, pomelos, grapefruit, um, you know, several, several different varieties. That we oh, I mostly see on Facebook your images of oranges. Now, I know you're a lemon guy. I put lemon in my ice water every day. And you know what? I'm going to start insisting that it become Eric Bream Ranch's uh, lemons. All right. You have been politically active. You are in a state that I always wonder when I come over and work in California, I'm like, how in the hell do these people keep it together? They've got anti-ag forces coming out their ears. And it's not just the people that are walking around Venice Beach uh, with their signs. It's not just the wackos up in the Bay Area with their uh, you know petitions outside of Whole Foods. It's everywhere in your state. So I think the bad part is they always just say when I was a kid in Indiana, hey, it starts on the coast and it works its way in. It seems that what's happened in California for the last 20 or so years is now become a national thing that ag has activism at the state house and at the federal level working against us. Am I right or is it just my perception here? No, it seems to be headed in that direction. I think... Uh... Here in California, what we see is um, the regulatory agencies are also being infiltrated, for lack of a better word. 
um, by these groups, for example, um, up until the Newsom administration, the, the chair of the Water Resources Control Board, um, which is a big deal here in California for irrigation, uh, was she, her previous role was uh, an administrator for the NRDC. And, you know, yeah, it, for, it was, the, for, for the what? For the National uh, Resources Defense Council. Okay. Um, and um, like currently under this administration, what we're seeing is uh, in these regulatory agencies is kind of a shift in, in thinking. Um, like we look at California DPR, which is a pesticide regulatory agency here in California. It seems like uh, their current way of viewing their role is in eliminating pesticide use rather than regulating it. And, and there's a lot of things that, that point in that direction that that's kind of that that's what we're dealing with and it seems like because because when you look at this activist idea and what these groups are doing it's really an appeal to emotion which is which is hard to refute right um and so when we talk about follow the science and things like that none of that matters right it's just i've, I've been in some of these hearings where you know it, you're talking about a pesticide use and you know, these groups will come in with, and they put an eight-year-old kid in the microphone and, and this kid says, you know, well, they sprayed me or I'm afraid or whatever. And it's those kinds of things that the public doesn't understand all of the hoops that we have to go through in order to do it, you know, that we're not just out willy-nilly doing whatever. And it, it, it makes it hard to kind of, to kind of bring the conversation back around. So uh, your your point is well taken, and anybody that has kept up with my stuff or read my book uh, or listened to my podcast or seen my program on stage knows my exact thing about that, that uh, the groups that oppose us always use emotion. Yeah, put an eight-year-old kid on there that says, I'm scared to eat my, my Lucky Charms because there's Roundup. Is that what the right word is, Mommy? Yeah, okay. You know, So they're all being – here's the thing, Eric um, – <clears throat> What you said is really interesting because I've been seeing that now we have, of course, my backdrop, if you happen to be a viewer, you see it. If you're a listener, I've got a backdrop of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, and uh, a cheeseburger because part of her Green New Deal initiative, this is the congresswoman that leans extremely left. She even calls herself a socialist from New York, and she's like 30 years old. And you're saying, why are we talking about that? She's out there in, in New York. Well, because she's got 700,000 people in her district, but her Twitter following, last I looked, had like 8 million. She has a whole bunch of young people that that hold her up as an idol. And she believes that she is going to save the world by opposing cheeseburgers, for instance, and uh, getting rid of factory farms. All these buzzwords that we know are all bullshit, but, but, but they use. I talked about that we've got activists taking political office. But before we even get into them, let's point out what you just brought up. We have activists that now head up regulatory agencies. So they are unelected. We can't even we can't even try and get them voted out. They're hired unelected bureaucrats. Saw this with the EPA, for instance, the federal, you know, EPA. The person that was in charge of it under uh, the Obama administration was like uh, came from, I think, uh, Sierra Club or, or uh, Greenpeace or one of these very hardcore um, activist groups. And you're seeing that a great deal in California. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, these boards and commissions and stuff, those are political appointments uh, through the governor's office. 
So, yeah, or, or, or from the president, from the president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Oval Office. Um, so that's a really bad thing because, as you said, they are people that obviously bend a way, a direction that is anti-ag just by its very nature. If you worked for Greenpeace, you believe that your job in life is to make sure that we never have herbicides or fungicides or any of those kinds of things. And now you're in charge of the EPA, which is supposed to be a science-based organization to regulate these usages, right? Yep. Yep. And that's, that's kind of what we see here. Um, you know, and it's, it makes life difficult because there's very, here in California, there's very little actual oversight by the elected officials, mm -hmm. right? So even if, if, you know, these folks, it's their job to implement the rules out of legislation, but they seem to be able to uh, make new rules as, as they move along, which is pretty frustrating. In my book, Food Fear, my book about the business of agriculture, I actually talk about this with DDT as really becoming just a a, a nothing more than a straw man so that the EPA could continue to have more power. And so this is not a new phenomenon at the regulatory level, but it's much, much worse. Um, DDT, the chemical that we used so effectively to treat lice and uh, typhus and all sorts of other terrible diseases that we had in the uh, old days, uh, got banned because the chairman of the EPA said, I need a rallying cry. I need to go out and scare everybody. And so very effectively, he uh, teamed up with Rachel Carson, the author that wrote uh, Silent Spring, the scare tactic book that said we would uh, never hear birds in the, in the springtime again because all the birds would be dead because we've used this DDT. None of that was true. In fact, bird counts, even by the Audubon Society, <laughs> were greater in 1960 than they had been, uh, you know, uh, previous to that. So uh, it, it was really interesting that um, none of these things happen. Um, so we got the regulatory agencies doing this. Now let's talk about because we already we always know that we've got the the groups, the environmental working group. We've got the HSUS, but it seems that now they're not even content just to getting a one of their own into the regulatory agency. Now they want their people to be in the political office. Um, I kept talking about AOC, and she didn't come from one of those backgrounds, but she's very very much influenced by them. Colorado, let's use this microcosm, if you will. Colorado's governor has a, a partner, uh, he's a gay guy, uh, who is an animal rights activist. And once you have that sort of influence, the animal rights activist is uh, allowed, for instance, now there's going to be Meat Free Monday on March 20th. They're calling for a Meat Free Day in Colorado for the good of the environment. Now, when would a state that has a multi-billion dollar cattle industry go this direction? Well, when you have the governor and his partner that, that, are, that are these sort of activists, it's going against the people's will, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the... The average American, I forget what the numbers are on uh, vegans, it's 1% or less of, of our population. And I think the average American just wants to eat a hamburger or a steak at their own will. Um, and, you know, this kind of stuff being pushed through legislatively is just unconscionable. 
So I gave the Colorado example, and because I said they've they've infiltrated the actual, you know, the governor's office, if you will. Um, let's go through that the federal level because I think a lot of people know this. Oh, and incidentally, about Colorado, there is a ballot initiative that is in play right now, and the ballot initiative is brought by some hardcore anti-animal ag groups. But again, they will have a sympathetic ear. This is the thing. If those if those radicals were out there in the past, it's like, okay, they're just crazy. But now they have radicals that are crazy that also have a sympathetic ear and a and an avenue to actually being possibly not only heard, possibly voted, uh, you know, their thing could be passed. The ballot initiative will limit. You can't uh, slaughter an, a meat animal until it's lived at least 25% of its uh, expected life. For a bovine, that would be five years for a steer. Uh, for like a chicken, it's like two years or something like that, as opposed to the 45 days we spend to take a broiler up. So this is all very ridiculous, but also animal husbandry practices. Can't shove your arm up a cow, can't uh, do artificial insemination, all these sorts of things. They would define that as animal abuse, rape, whatever, the kind of animal rackles. So my concern is what the cause groups taught us, Eric, is they will get an initiative passed. Uh, in California about the size of a pin. And then they say, yeah, but you know what? We can't get this passed in, in Iowa, but we can get a pass in California. Oh, and let's also then make it so that if we make it so that California votes this in, here's the another part. It's got to be chickens have to have 50 square feet or whatever, but it can't just be in California. It's to sell chickens or eggs into California. So de facto, it becomes a federal legislation from the state level. Are you seeing that? Yeah, there was a Prop 12 out here a few years ago. I forget exactly when, but it was about the size of chicken cages. And and I know there's some uh, there's some legal wranglings going on with it now. But, you know, in my opinion, that's the wrong. It, it shouldn't be allowed. Right. I mean, because the federal government is the one that, that should regulate interstate commerce. But California, in a de facto way, because we swing a pretty big economic hammer and have a large portion of the U.S. population here, you know, you can force those issues. Which is exactly what happened. So, uh, unfortunately, we've got activism at the state house, and then also they know they can get it pushed through through the vote, and then they can get on the ballot. That's the other big part. And so, California essentially becomes now what happens there becomes de facto federal regulation. Now, if I want to sell chickens or eggs into California, I have to adhere to California's standards. Um, you've been dealing with this for a long time. What are what do you know? What have you seen that maybe other people don't know or see? Oh, I don't know. Um, it's <laughs> we just operate in a very difficult environment. Um, when I talk to farmers in other states, you know, I um, I belong to a group of farmers across the country and, you know, their jaws hit the ground when I start talking about some of what we deal with here. So for example, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, my trade group did an assessment of what our regular regulatory costs are. Um, so for me, and this was 2018 numbers, I'm sure it's gone up since, but it was over $700 an acre that we're, that we're paying in, in regulatory costs. And really when you look at it, uh, we're not accomplishing a whole lot with any of that. The goals are not, not being achieved. We're just writing checks and spending a lot of time. I did an interview several years ago 
um, where I estimated 40% of my time was used up on that kind of stuff. I'd say today it's well over 50%. $700 an acre that you are cost uh, just to do regulatory compliance. And to the person listening to this says, well, put that in perspective. Well, to grow an acre of corn in my part of the world, you can, uh, $700 an acre would, would pay for the cash rent and all the inputs to grow an acre of corn. And Eric is doing that much money just to comply with regulatory agencies. Doesn't make him a nickel. And also, if you're sharing this with one of your non-ag friends, I hope you do share these podcasts with your non-ag friends. This is not regulatory, meaning he used to have a bunch of poor slaves out there and, and drive around and beat them. Obviously, he's talking about just keeping his his paperwork in order, probably on pesticide usage and uh, those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is uh, driven by water, water quality and things like that. Um, yeah. And pesticide usage and, and licensing and continuing education and all of the things that that are required here in California to operate a farm. Uh, before we go any further, because I got to get to uh, get to another uh, turn, turn the angle on this on um, uh, what uh, works on on uh, what works and what we can do about some of these things. Before we get to that, I want to remind our listeners that this episode of the Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Harvest Profit software solution that was found. The company was founded by Nick Horrible. He's a, a guy that looked at a need and he said, you know what? There needs to be a better way for these companies, these farm people, these ag enterprises to run their books and run their business. So he created Harvest Profit. It's a software solution. It's a, it's a technology that you can use to become more profitable. So check out harvestprofit.com. All right. You just said something interesting that how we, uh, we have to deal with this and it's tough. Uh, logic doesn't work, right? No. Okay. Economic argument. No. <laughs> I just said $700. The people listening to this are business-minded, and they said, holy crap, 700 bucks an acre, that man out there in California with his citrus operation has to spend just on regulatory compliance. But the average person's like, oh, well, they're just big farmers. They're one of those factory farms, $700 an acre. So what? Doesn't mean anything to them. So economics don't work, right? No, actually, I think the economic argument is counterproductive. I get frustrated every year when the crop reports come out because there's this huge dollar amount on them that, you know, like in Tulare County where I farm, for example, I think we did, uh, oh, $7 billion, $8 billion last year in farm gate revenue. Right. So to me, the, the average person in Southern California or, or the Bay Area looks at that and they have no context. They don't, you know, so to me, it, it really paints a false picture to people who don't understand it. Well, God, they must be making $8 billion down there in the county, but it's not, not even close to the truth. So I actually get frustrated to see that touted as like a great thing. And I get it from a political standpoint. It can be right because it gives you leverage in political arenas and things like that. But, but ultimately for the consumer, I think it's bad. Yeah, it's a good thing if you're talking to business-minded people when you say, do you realize that in Tulare County, we produce and sell $8 billion worth of stuff, not even $8 billion of economic activity. Remember, when there's somebody that wants something, if they want to build a new stadium, they always come in and say, well, this is going to create a billion dollars of economic activity. I'm like, I don't know if that's true. You just want us to get taxed and build your stinking stadium. But real dollars are Tulare County sells $8 billion worth of ag. By the way, non-California ag people, you should understand this. 
where Mr. Bream operates. So obviously huge, huge agriculture. I believe that if my stats are right, three counties in California, Kern, Tulare, and I can't remember the third one, have greater agricultural receipts annually than 25 of our states have. Uh, what's the third county, by the way? Uh, I would either be Kings or Fresno. Okay. But yeah, there's about there's a five county cluster here where uh, most of the economic activity takes place in California and Central Valley. I might have said, did I say Kern? Is there a Kern? Yeah. So you've got Kern County, Tulare County, Kings, Fresno, and Madera counties. And those five counties, um, you know, we're from a from a farm gate revenue standpoint, uh, we do more than Iowa in five yeah. counties. Yeah. Yeah. Five counties do more than Iowa, which is the number two agricultural uh, revenue state. So that is is part of the problem. Then those people in Sacramento say, well, we don't care if it costs him $700 an acre. He has it. I mean, look at them. They're, they're, they're making all this money. And that's a real calloused uh, approach. But also, I think that that's how they think. Am I right? Yeah, uh, I've joked before, I, you know, because I'm a fairly politically, politically active farmer. And so I spend time at the state capitol every year. And I've threatened before just to write ATM across my forehead and black marker because <laughs> it, it seems like that's that's how you feel when you, when you go in there, because it's all about, you know, what can we not? How can we help you? What can we take from you? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Uh, and that was one of my questions for you. I think it largely comes down to power and profit. The politician then can rally against you, use you as a lever, and then say that you're a bad, you're you're out there polluting the environment, and then give me more power and let me go ahead and, and regulate him more. And therefore, I'm protecting you, dear citizen. And what they're really doing is bringing more money into the coffers that then create more jobs. They can go and hire their their neighbor, their their, their nephew's uh, wife. Uh, and I think it's power and profit. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, like I said earlier, a lot of these regulatory um, issues that, that I'm dealing with and all the, everybody out here is dealing with, they're, they're not really designed to solve problems. They're, they basically are a, a way to collect revenue, in my opinion. It's really just, you know, you create this regulatory program, every, you know, and they make it so hard if you don't participate that you're going to be out of business. Right. So you have to participate in like all of these programs come with a per acre assessment under the guise of, you know, groundwater quality, for example, or, or any number of other issues. But, you know, it, it really is just, you know, and you look around, if you drive down the highway where I live um, or, or if you go to any of the, the watersheds, the, the rivers and the creeks and stuff, they're littered with homeless people <laughs> that, uh, you know, they, they, there's a reason why they camp next to water, right? But by the time that water comes to the farm, it's, it's got enough value that, you know, I have to pay for quality issues and things like that, you know, so it's, it, it's not working. It's, it's really just a matter of, of power and profit, like you said. You ever see this changing? You see it, I see it getting worse, unfortunately, when we've got uh, activists you know, Kamala Harris, our vice president, went on uh, in, a, in a TV interview last year and said that would she support regulations on meat consumption? She said that she would. Um, that's choice. That's issues. We got de Blasio, the mayor of New York, that pushed through a whole meatless initiative. Uh, the, his predecessor, Bloomberg, 
push through a limit on the size of soda pop you could drink. We've got Cory Booker, uh, who teamed up with Elizabeth Warren. He wants to limit farm size, meaning you can't have a farm of a certain size. So I see these things being, being worse and worse. We talked about the state level in Colorado. We know what you're dealing with there in California. Is it going to continue to get worse? Define yeah, it think- just bankrupt us all? What's going to happen? <laughs> no, I think it's going to continue down the same path. And it's because I, the, the reason I think that is because, like I mentioned earlier, I think these groups have be, become so good at the emotional appeal and the misinformation that's put out there that, you know, people people believe what they're being told and these people vote. And so, you know, it, it, by the time the average voter understands this it will be too late in my opinion and i can it's kind of like if we look at the wildfire situation here in california yeah that was largely driven by regulation right right so when it became too late and we burned you know half of our forest or whatever the number is right now suddenly there's some backpedaling going on saying hey maybe we should cut back on some of this red tape and, and do some more management, things like that. But it's too late for all of those hundreds of thousands of acres that got burned. Right. And then you, and then you flip that around, just like I was talking about a minute ago, uh, you flip that around and the air resources board, which is a regulatory agency here in California, just last week, I think, uh, basically put a solid date of 2025 on banning all agriculture burning. So, yeah. So, and, and that's what we're dealing with, right? So you've got, you've got, it's okay for them to make a mistake and, and over the course of decades and the whole forest burns down. But, but if I need to push out an orchard, I don't have uh, a way to deal with the waste. Yeah. So essentially what you're saying is we had so much regulation that instead of harvesting timber, which uh, then instead died and burned and destroyed the environment, so we didn't get any value out of the timber. We destroyed the environment. And then, uh, oh, gosh, maybe we should have actually been harvesting that timber and managing it rather than letting it burn. Well, now we got to do something about this. Let's make it so that when Eric has 20 acres of uh, outdated trees that aren't productive and he wants to <laughs> bulldoze them out and put them in a pile and burn them, oh, God, can't do that. So <laughs> is that what we're talking about? Basically, yeah. Um, and it's it's tough too because we do have an alternative, but it's it's much more expensive and it's difficult. Large equipment that wants to come in, and like in my area, there's a lot of ten to forty acre parcels, and to move that kind of equipment in to burn or to chip up ten acres of trees, it's it doesn't work. The economics don't make sense. The the guy with the machine doesn't want to do it. Right, right, right. It's not big enough. Um, we've got this thing um, where you pay into a lot of trade groups and some of the people who are listening to this podcast are members of and pay for, or even work for some of these organizations from farm bureau to uh, you know, the, the checkoff programs to whatever these groups don't really seem to fight the fight. They don't seem to go in there and punch uh, the way they should. And they don't get in the boxing ring and say, Hey, politicians, you are going to put our people out of business with this. And we're going to really show go because they don't go to the customer and say, Hey, do you realize that by doing this, it's going to mean that you won't have access to citrus. Cause that's really what some of this would be. Why, why don't they fight for us? Well, um, I think it's because in, in political circles, you're, you're, you can get branded fairly easily as 
being someone who's not reasonable um, and nobody wants that. Right. So it's, it's really about creating relationships. I think uh, we can see it here in California uh, just because of the amount of geography and the diverse geography and the diversity of crops that we grow here. We, you know, I think commercially we, we grow over 400 different uh, types of crops here. And so everybody's got different interests. And so for, for agriculture, and I'll put that in quotes, agriculture to get on the same page politically is almost impossible. I mean, I, you know, agriculture came together last year in California against a thing called Prop 15, which would have effectively eliminated, uh, it would have put my farm under. Right. So it took the, you know, the, the most drastic thing that, that these people could come up with for everybody to come together on it. But as a general rule, a lot of this stuff. So, you know, I mean, you're talking about uh, some of these legislators and beef, for example. Right. The citrus industry is not going to get involved in that, even though it affects us. But my trade association wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole, um, you know, and because it's important. Like here in Tulare County, our biggest um, revenue for agriculture is dairy. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the waste products, whether that's rinds from juice or cold fruit or things like that in the citrus industry, go to feed those cows. It upcycles it and turns it into protein milk, right? And, um, but from a political standpoint, it's, it's very, very, very difficult to get everybody on the same page. Um, which is interesting. So I, you know, over the years, I've created some pretty good relationships with legislators. And the last time I was in one of these guys' office, he's a Democrat from up north, super good dude. And uh, he looked at me and he says, you know what you guys' biggest problem is? He said, when oil comes in here, they're in lockstep. When tech comes in here, they're in lockstep. He said, when that comes in here, you guys are all over the board. That's why you get screwed. Yeah. I think that's the most valuable thing that I've heard, and I have been uh, on the same side of that. You've got the grass-fed fighting the conventional. You've got the uh, the this fighting that. And it, the tough part is um, we as an industry tend to be somewhat dysfunctional in that regard. Like you said, oil comes in, they're in lockstep. Tech comes in, they're in lockstep. Ag still doesn't understand also they they, they seem to not um they seem to not really quite understand the fight i, I think that they they still think it's about oh well, there's just some crazy people that want to you know not let me eat cheeseburgers i'm like oh i think it's more insidious than that i believe there's actually a big political push among um it tends to be obviously those on the left, uh, all the ones that I've named at a federal level and then of course the colorado governor and then what tends to happen in california they think that they can, by rallying their base against us, attain more power. And so I think it's a bit more red-blue than, than perhaps some folks see it as. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I try really hard not to be partisan. Um, you know, and it, you, you can't really <laughs> be partisan here in California. It's, uh, you know, the things that the politically things are slanted so far in one direction that it, it makes that difficult. What else do you see that I haven't talked about with you today about this issue? When, politi- when, when, when activists are in political or, as you said, regulatory roles, what do, what do, we, what do I, do I have any reason to be optimistic? 
I think so. Um, you know, when I when I was looking at your questions and I wrote down some notes, I, I you know I, I tried to think about that question quite a bit, and and I it, what I came up with is if we look back at this past year, it, the last time you and I spoke, we talked about COVID, and I think COVID laid some stuff bare for people and made and and raised awareness. And one of the things that I think is is uh, super important moving forward is the fact that farmers, um, we can define that several ways, but farmers in the eyes of the average American, there's a high level of trust there. So we're going to have to learn to use our voice outside of trade associations and, and outside of some of the normal channels that we use because that level of trust, I mean, if we look at some of these politicians and look at their trust rating, it's, it's really low, but they have a big microphone. Yeah. And and we need to figure out how to do that. And, and it's hard because, you know, we were all raised or a lot of us were raised, you know, that you just keep your nose down. You do what you got to do. You, yeah. you, you do the farm, you sell your stuff and you just move on and keep your mouth shut. Right. And in today's world, we can't do that anymore. And we need to leverage that that amount of trust that, that our voice will carry with people because it matters. Yeah. So logic doesn't work. Economics doesn't work. Uh, a straight, a straight appeal on an emotional level uh, might work. And uh, I, I agree with that. I think it's about choice also. That's one of the things I advocate for. And I talked about in my book that if we can continue to point out that, Hey, this, these people want to take away your choice. They want to take away your choice. And I think that's a biggie right there. Um, or, or, or make it so you can't afford your choice. That's one of the biggies I think. All right. So his name's Eric Bream. Anything else? Closing thoughts? Coming to me from the ranch with a bad internet signal out there in, in Cali land. The most, technologi- uh, the most technologically advanced, most populous state in the union. And here he is uh, with a uh, with sketchy internet service. And here, you know, what the heck? Yeah. And this is the best you can get in this area. So uh, that's what we're stuck with. Um, the only thing I would add is that one of the ways, like if I talk about trust and, and farmers, and one of the ways that we're doing that, I'm involved with an uh, organization called My Job Depends on Ag. And we, um, we last year, we debuted our television series. And uh, we're almost done. I think there's one, two, two more episodes left for season two. So we did 10 episodes last year, 10 episodes this year. And it's really talking to people in agriculture that are doing these jobs. And it's, it's a closed ended kind of thing. So, you know, we, what we're, that's kind of the same approach that we're trying to take is, you know, talk, we're filming this stuff, giving people access to it. You can get on the YouTube channel. It's called American grown. My job depends on ag. American grown. My job depends on ag, which also is a Facebook page that Eric uh, was involved in starting years ago. You can go there and join that group as well. But yeah, you should check out these videos. They're, they're well-produced. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. Uh, lastly, then since you're the citrus guy and I've got people from cranberries to, to combine salesmen to uh, everybody in between that listens to this, tell us about citrus. You said something interesting. 2020 ended up being a really good year for you guys. You said. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, there was a few things happened that, that made that happen. But at the beginning of the year, things were looking pretty bleak. And once once COVID came onto the scene, it seemed like we had an easier time moving through at higher prices. And throughout the course of the summer, um, Citrus has been doing well. And it's continued to be strong. There's some challenges going on right now with, uh, with the ports. 
that always seems to be an issue. Um, but there, we're working through it, and and I think we're going to come up with another strong season. You're saying it's a it was a challenge to get stuff shipped out to 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 take it away from the United States. Yeah, and what I'm I, I can't verify this, and I hate saying stuff that I that I haven't seen with my own two eyes or been able to verify. But what I'm hearing is that uh, the Chinese are paying uh, additional money to have these boats leave the U.S. empty because there's there's an imbalance of shipping containers and, and things like that that's creating some issues. It's It's been an issue for me this year to even get fertilizer. Yeah, I've, um, heard, because, I've, heard, I've yeah. heard that as well. I've heard that. Yeah, and the price is, the price is skyrocketing. Yeah, so you now look at your regulatory problems, and then regulatory problems also bring more distortion of economics. Uh, so the more regulated you got, then the more the distortion of the marketplace, et cetera. So you're going you're gonna to end up okay in 2021, though. And that's the good news. All right. His name's Eric Bream. My name's Damian Mason. Uh, thank you for being on. Anytime. All right. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture, which again is brought to you by Harvest Profit. Go to harvestprofit.com and see if this software and tech option will help your ag enterprise be more profitable. Eric, someday I'm going to come there and walk those orchards and eat those lemons with you. All right. All right. Like I said, if you come out for the farm show, that's when they're in season. So it's perfect. Perfect. All right. Till next time. Thanks for being here. It's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the business of agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.